Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance access deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. Outdoor Adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. My name is Clay Newcomb and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. I think fly fishing is real pretty to watch. Fly fishing is captivating. It is. You guys are missing out. It is really pretty to I watch. Feel like, I feel like you're I, a liar, really. Clay Newcomb. Yeah, Why? it's beautiful. Because I can't tell you how many times I've heard you say, you know what I'm really drawn to is people who have a passion for something, have an identity. And I talk about fly fishing all the time on this show, and you just blow over it like it's not even hey, a thing. Wrong passion. <laughs> Apparently, you're you're attracted to people who have passion that you like. It's really cute when people like fly fishing. I I think it's really cute. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. (laughs) That's why people say they can't do it, Josh. No, 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 Josh. No, I I respect your passion for fly fishing. Absolutely. Now, does that mean that I want to talk about it all the time? You should. I want to hear you talk about it. He wants you to talk about it. I'll let you talk about fly fishing as much as you want. In my car, driving home (laughs) from the render. (laughs) What would you say about fly fishing? I would tell you. Let's just say you had the floor. Yes. Let's just say. What would you say? I would talk about, first of all, the places that fly fishing takes you is one of the things that I like like the best about it. I like that. The the beautiful locations, environments that you get to to Okay. One of the things that I love about fly fishing is, especially trout fishing, is being in cold water. Yeah. When it's 100 degrees and you're standing in 48 degree water, it's like you are tasting the extremes at one time. You do it in okay. a It's amazing. Sure. I like the idea. It's of amazing. That. And then watching, I mean, ideally, a nice dry fly cast where it lands out there so delicately. Yeah. And then seeing a monster brown trout 
just go up there and slurp that thing in there and you react and set the hook and that fish just goes crazy but you're usually fish fighting that fish on a very fine tackle so mm. you know the fight's on for at least 10 minutes it's oh just, really can be with a big one i mean that, it's a that's a it's that a thrilling beautiful, feeling moving compelling yeah yeah how much more great. time do i have you can have the whole podcast <laughs> yeah. hey welcome to the bear minutes. grease podcast welcome to the bear grease podcast you just heard the poetic voice of josh lambridge spillmaker never been accused of that Good to have you, Josh. Thank you for coming. Thank you. To my thank left, you. Brent Reeves. Always looking sharp. Yeah, in, uh, those look like overalls. fresh overalls. Yeah, these are good. Pretty these fresh. Nice. Those, and that new knife. Oh, he cut his paint. He cut them. Oh, with man. With that new knife, with that new meat eater knife. Oh, did you really? Yeah, I think it's, it is sharp. Mm. Right there. Just barely touched it. Just like a ding. Like a scalpel. Like a, like a dry fly floating across the White River. <laughs> if it would have hit it any harder. It would have took half my leg off. But thanks, Sharp. <laughs> I'll be darned. Yeah. To your left, Isaac Neal, yes, producer, sir. assistant producer of assistant the Bear Grease Podcast. To the assistant producer. to the regional. Assistant to the I commented on Isaac's attire when he walked in. I was really proud of him. Yeah. He really looks like a redneck. I just yeah. got I got so ashamed and embarrassed of of. Uh, Your foot gear? No, the tattoos. Oh. I had to cover them. I scheduled a laser you know tattoo what? removal. I forgot <laughs> you didn't have tattoos. <laughs> well, just to just to paint a picture, I got some nice boot cut jeans on, a pair of cowboy boots. Yeah, yeah. So, and what? How would you describe a, your shirt? A camo hat. Um, this is like a. It's vague it's, Hawaiian. It's kind of vague in, Hawaiian. Yeah. That's good. It's subtle, in the in the vein of like <laughs> Willie Nelson, kind of like redneck, yeah. kind of hippie. Yeah, yeah. And then Isaac's got hair down to his navel. Yeah. To 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 Isaac's left. You don't have to exaggerate. <laughs> to Isaac's left, my lovely wife, Misty Newcomb. Hello, Misty. Thank you for joining us. Thanks so much, Clay. It's I so really great appreciate to be here. It. It's really a big deal. I don't know if y'all realize what a big deal it is to have Misty. This is a very busy woman. I mean, oh, she's like so scheduling like these things in, like negotiating with other people about this time. Do you so, have her people? Your people call her people. I can't. I don't even talk to her. I talk to her people. But it's like it, what's great is we li live in this like isolated world of social media where you're a big deal right and she's your wife but like in the real world where things actually happen <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're misty newcomb's yeah. husband hey, we were trying, to, we were trying to film a little short just depends clip on what context you're of in. making gravy <laughs> and there's people knocking on the door and clay's looking out the window he goes, there's a delivery truck out here i wonder what that is they leave and we start filming again and isaac's like here comes another truck another yeah. guy there's a there's a bigger delivery truck. Clay says, we got to take a break. I got to find Misty. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> Turns out there was a wedding at There was house. a wedding coming. <laughs> uh, so, Misty, thank you for taking Good time out here. of your schedule. Mm -hmm. And then Gary Newcomb, whose schedule is just wide <laughs> open <laughs> since about 2012. Correct. And uh, good to have you, Dad. Hey, thank you. Thanks for coming up. Yeah, enjoy Gary, it. Gary Newcomb is the most preppy-dressed preppy of us all. Looks like he's going golfing. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, a little embarrassing, but it's all right. Uh, that he's uh, going golfing or that he's better all dressed? All of the above. All of the above. <laughs> I'm kidding, Dad. He's a renaissance no, man. He's a renaissance man. Yeah. So, great man. And then, who else? That's, that's us. That's all. Our interesting oh, I, I have to go first because of the fly fishing. Yeah, that was just like a little bonus About deal. Time. We're gonna cut that out. So, <laughs> Isaac, cut out Josh. So, so you better circle back and, to Josh. And Josh. In case yeah, it gets cut Josh. out, Josh Lambridge. Yeah. Hey, I was in the Pacific Northwest this last week, and people were Ooh. they started talking about the land bridge that people walked. Like you know, that they said you know they theorize the it's Bering the land first. Bridge. Right. Anyway, and I was like, oh, I know all about the land bridge. My friend's mustache looks like. 
Do you know that I was born in the Pacific Northwest also? I knew you had some ties there. I wow. actually was trying to figure that Seattle, out. Seattle, Washington. I didn't wow. know that. Almost accidentally. You were raised in Michigan. Which you are. So I assume you're of European descent, just based upon what I know about you. Did your family come over the land bridge? Just went backwards? Not from that I know most of. Most patterns I, of migration of I Europeans? actually had a, a shattering life moment a couple months ago. My mom got suckered into one of those 23andMe kind of things. Oh, and no. I found out that my German heritage came in through Canada. Really? Oh, They immigrated to Canada and then moved into okay. Michigan. Those uh, interesting. Yep. We've got some pretty fun family stories surrounding Twenty Three and Me. I mean, really scandals. It's uh, it's pretty pretty fun. Hey, it, not <laughs> not to scandals like uh, steal the vibe of having fun. Take it away. But Josh and I are really good friends and have been for decades. Josh, tell yeah. them tell them a little bit about your dad. So my mom and dad got married in nineteen and seventy five. And uh, my dad was 19, my mom was 22. And uh, just a couple months after my parents got married, they were very happily married. My dad had a framing crew and he'd come home and he'd say, man, I'm really tired. And uh, this was in Michigan. And uh, he, he'd come home, fall asleep in the bathtub. I mean, just at 19, 20 years old. Well, he went to the doctor and found out. And your, your lo- mom was like, what's, yeah, you know, what's, like- what's going on? Seems like, you, you know, you're in the prime of your life. They did, did some blood work and found out that he had some very like extremely low hemoglobin levels come to find out he had a very rare disease called aplastic anemia and the only cure was a bone marrow transplant which was there were two research centers in the united states that were doing research on bone marrow transplants one of which was in seattle okay and so my parents actually they called and said if you want a bone marrow transplant be here on monday and it was a friday really so my parents literally packed up in two days and moved to seattle and uh, my dad had experimental chemotherapy and a bone marrow trans- transplant. His sister was a donor. And uh, right after his, his, I was born while they were there. Three weeks later, we left and went back to Michigan. And uh, my dad got home. And one of the things he loved to do was water ski. And uh, he just begged my mom. He said, man, I feel really good. I really want to go water ski. And she said, I don't want you to do it. So he's 20 years old. He decides to do it. Catches a cold. What aplastic anemia does is it, it destroys your, you, you, you've, can't produce white blood cells anymore. So you have a very compromised immune system. And uh, he caught a cold. It turned into pneumonia, um, ended up in the hospital. The doctor said, the family needs to come down here and say your goodbyes. A couple days later, he's better. And uh, he he, uh, seemed to to make a a rebound there. A couple weeks later, he got sick, turned into pneumonia. Same scenario. Come down, say your goodbyes. He's not going to make it. And uh, my mom actually, I, I found some, going through some old stuff from my dad, I actually found a journal of my mom's. And my mom prayed and she said, Lord, by my anniversary, make me a widow or make me a wife. Either heal him or take him because this up and down is too much for me. And uh, he actually passed away four days before their first anniversary. Wow. Mm. And uh, so I was raised by a single mom till I was almost 12. And, uh, but I tell you what. I have trem- We've talked about my mom on this podcast yeah. before. She's an incredible woman. She really strong, is. Strong, determined, hardworking. I learned an incredible work ethic from my mom. The hostess with the mostess. True. And uh, man, it's it's shaped who I am to this day. And uh, I'm real I'm real grateful for for what my mom invested in me as a child. Awesome. I've always loved that story. You know, I was really impacted, and I don't want to jump ahead too fast, but I was really impacted by Mark Kenyon's story about his lucky streak. Oh yeah. About how he you know killed the deer, got the job. And then met his and 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 got together with his wife. Uh, yeah, 
Tell you what, that's pretty good. Now, how does that connect right to you, this? What you're talking about? I'm just talking about the um, having a having a godly woman in your life and a good strong woman. Man, is a pretty awesome thing. Yeah, those those are the things that really matter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Now we know a little bit more about Josh Thorne. And I like to fly fish. And, and he likes to fly fish. It turns out this episode's all about Josh. <laughs> is it? Is it appropriate Finally. to talk about the just time kidding. Deb Summers saved your life? Oh wow. Yeah. I mean, is that taking it too far off I mean, the rails? I because she one hundred percent did Go save ahead. your life. Yep. I get a call one she time. She Josh and saved my life once. I don't even <laughs> remember what what happened, but we were at the spill make. Josh and Christy and I were together. Clay was. Well, do you want me to tell how I got there? I definitely wanted you to tell the story. Okay. That's why I started so, so, to tell the story. I was. I was, I was hoping I was going to the he would take Jasper, it away from me. <laughs> I was going to the. I was going to the Jasper Elk Festival. <laughs> I was going to the Jasper Elk Festival in probably like Jasper, Arkansas, 2010 or something. And I, I was manning a booth for the Arkansas Black Bear Association, which was an organization that I ran and everything. And man, I woke up real early, had to be over there by like seven. It's like a two or three hour drive and just woke up real early, went over there. And on the way there, I remember where I was at. I could take you on the road there before you get to Jasper. When I looked out the window and could see this big vista, and I remember fe- just thinking, I feel absolutely terrible. <laughs> like it was just like, I just was like, I feel like I'm about to die. But I committed to be here and I was just like, I, I'm going to go. So I went and I get to the Jasper Elk Festival and set up my little booth, get everything set up. The pop-up tent. Yeah. And just, and, 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 and about, you know, 8, 8.30 people start showing up. I'm standing out in the middle of the road. They have the square blocked off. I'm standing out in the middle of the road talking to some friends that I knew from Russellville, Arkansas. And they were a real sweet couple. And they hadn't seen me in a long time. I had just greeted them. Just like, hey, <laughs> hadn't seen you guys in a long time. I gave them a hug. And I'm talking to them. <laughs> and I just go, I feel absolutely terrible. And the next thing I know is nothing. <laughs> Gravity. So pause. I, I went down. And, and so and, Connie and, calls and me. Ambul- and, and well, okay. And then. And I'm with this. This is this is an important piece of the story. Connie calls me. Well, I've never met Connie, and Connie calls. She me. gets my phone and she says she just looks for my name. name. Uh huh. So I've never met her. She calls me though, and I'm with Josh and Christy, and they said, "Hey, that's right over there by where where Deb." But that where, story's not over yet. I, I know. I know. That's why I'm. That's why I'm trying to tell it. Settle down. Um, <laughs> he and Clay. They want to take him to the hospital, and he won't. He doesn't want to go. They're like wiping me down, and I I go. I come to and I go, I'm okay, I'm okay. I just, just get me back to my booth. And so I stand up and they're like, whoa, whoa. And you know, everybody's like grabbing at me. I'm like, I'm okay, I'm okay. Don't worry, it's okay. And I say, I'm just going to walk back to the booth and sit down. And so I go to walking through this big crowd of people. And I mean, just next thing I know, I'm in an ambulance. I hit the ground again. And that is when Connie called you. So, okay, so that's when Connie Two called me. Two times fell in the street. Two times passed out. Josh and Christy are with me. They get on the phone while I'm on the phone with Deb. And, or they call Deb, who is about 15 minutes away. I don't know how it happened, but in my, the way I remember it, I am on the phone with Clay on the same inter, interchange. Connie gets the phone to Clay, and I'm saying, Clay, let him take you to the hospital. And the, I'm in an ambulance. He's in an ambulance, and he won't go to the hospital. And I don't know what's going on, except for Clay just passed out two times. And all of a sudden, the crowd parts. <laughs> like like the red sea and the cloud crowd parts and deb summers has figured out a way to get this josh's mom has figured out a way to get her car in the no parking zone (laughs) 
and has gotten the entire crowd moved. In my mind, Deb picked. I don't. I wasn't there, right? So, so I don't remember it. But in my mind, she I, I can hear Deb picking up, like showing up, like a in, baby bird, in like sixty seconds, showing up, parting the crowd, getting her car parked illegally, picking Clay up, like like a groom would pick up his bride. That's how I had it. Took him to it, his house. It was kind of like that. It when I got to the house, you know, it was like, how far away is it from? It's probably thirty minutes. When I got to the house, Deb had, I mean, Clay was eating. He was, he had like a feast in front of him and was laying velvet. All his favorite I mean, movies on yeah, VHS. Yeah, it was hilarious. It was. Popsicles. Yes, the whole nine <laughs> yards. And that is classic Deb. And and to this well, what, day. What, what, what she did is they, they took, they put me in an ambulance and they're like, sir, we're going to take you to the hospital. And I was like, I, I'm, I will not consent to going to the hospital. I'm not going to the hospital. We didn't have health insurance. Yeah. Uh, we were self-employed. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm not going to the hospital. And they're like, sir, are you sure? And I'm like, yes. And they made me sign this paper before yeah. I got out of the ambulance. So I got out of the ambulance, and I was like, I'm going to walk to my booth. I get to my booth and sit down, and everybody's like checking on me and stuff. And then Deb walks up, and she doesn't even <laughs> say hi. She just goes, Clay Newcomb, you get in my van right now. <laughs> <laughs> she stuck her finger out. That's what, she, that's what I remember her saying. She said, Clay Newcomb. <laughs> You get in my van right now. And I just said, yes, ma'am. And I went and got in. She opened up the side door of the minivan, and she had stuff in there. Oh, I'm like sure cold she cooler and <laughs> yeah. food and drinks. Yeah. And she, was like, she was like, lean that chair back, and you sit there. And and so it, and we went to her house and just had a great afternoon. Classic. Turns band. out I had ehrlichiosis. Uh, Do you know what that tick-born, is? It's the most common yeah. tick-borne illness in this part of Arkansas. Yeah, my dog. Brought it. over <laughs> by the uh, by the working dogs from Vietnam. They got it in the jungles of Asia, really? Gary Newcomb. Huh. Or may, you may have brought it back. You may have mailed it over. For all we know. Hmm, Do you have any have. ticks on you when you came well, back from few. Vietnam? I had a few. <laughs> 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 no, they, they, so all the service dogs that came in from Vietnam, most of them were channeled through Fort Chaffee, and they brought these dogs back. And if, if you look at a heat map of Ehrlichiosis, somebody will fact check me on this and they'll learn that I'm right. <laughs> okay. If you look at a heat map of Ehrlichiosis in the United States of America, there, there's like a, like a sunspot about 100 miles in any direction from Fort Chaffee, Fort Smith, Arkansas. Really? Yeah, really? and, it's, and it's, that's what they say. That's what I was told by a veterinarian who I believe was, was telling Not the truth. Lying to you. I, public service announcement. If you have flu-like symptoms in the summer and you are outdoors a lot, you should, it took forever to get an accurate diagnosis of what was going on. And once we did it, I mean, we were able to, to move forward. But that, that was a tough summer. Clay was, I mean, sick, sick, sick. It was, sick, bad, sick. It was bad. I mean, yeah. like, couldn't stand up without passing out type of yeah. bad sickness. They gave you antibiotics. And, yeah, it was just, it's just standard treatment. But yeah. pretty much uh, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, Lyme's disease, ehrlichiosis, and now alpha Alpha, Alpha, Alpha Gal. Gal. Mm-hmm. Alpha Gal. It's the worst. big ones. Yeah, it's yeah. bad news, man. Yeah. Bad news. Uh, I had Rocky Mountain spotted fever. No. Okay. And a guy walked in my office, and, and he is a friend of mine. He just started telling a story about getting a tick-related disease and how he felt. He just went, oh, I, I had one, two, three, four, five things happened. Then I got up, got in my car, drove to the clinic, went in. They gave me this, this, and this. 
And so, I mean, like three days later, one happens, two happens, three happens. I think, okay, I'm going to the clinic. Like not till after he told you about it? Yeah, I mean, it was just like luck, bad luck, which we're going to talk about that. Oh, nice segue, Gary. It was good luck that he came into your office. Yeah, yeah, because I might have laid there a day or two thinking, you know. And 25 years ago, people didn't pay as much attention to tick-borne illness as they do now. I think there was a time period when doctors Mm -hmm. were just like letting people die. For having tick-borne illness. Well, it's a specific. Not, it's a specific test they got a test for because yeah. my brother had it, and when he was finally diagnosed, I came in from Missouri turkey hunting one year. It's like, man, I'm. I feel like terrible. You know, I feel like I've been eaten by a coyote and crept off a cliff. It is <laughs> terrible. And he says, "You get summers come by." <laughs> he said, "No, I wish you had." He said, "You sound like you got it, man. You need to go." And they did that specific test, and yeah. sure enough, that's what I had was like what Gary had. Rocky Mountain spotted fever, and it was tetracycline for breakfast for and supper for a week or two, and then it was gone. Yeah, yeah. Clay got we got an accurate diagnosis because someone he was with, and in in the woods he was doing work with, and that guy got a diagnosis, and uh, that's when we called the doctor and said, "Is it possible that this is what yeah. he's dealing with?" And it was like game changer, but but for I don't know how long he would have. And, I mean, it was it was really bad. Do you get cured with medicine, or is it just? I think it just kind of dies down. I think you. Well, I, I think don't it's know. different for some because I hear about positive. people with Lyme's disease, and that seems like a little that longer term. Yeah, it was much longer term than what you had. So, I think this is a good point to get into what I really wanted to talk about today, which is uh, which Love is a pretty it. serious. It's a pretty pretty unique time for the Bear Grease podcast because. We're going to institute a we're going to institute something that has been in my heart for a long time, and I, I believe that this will persist through time and be really important. We're going to institute the Bear Grease Hall of Fame. Oh. an official Bear Grease Hall of Fame. And I'm going to get a plaque of some sort made, and th- like you know how. You can make plaques that have room for more oh, yeah. little. Oh yeah, yeah. And you put the tags. They have yeah. a name. Tags. Yeah. <clears throat> so you make everlasting. You, you get a big plaque, and it what starts off it? with just small things. So here's what we've got: some business, like actual business, to take care of, and that is to talk about. And basically, I'm going to pronounce who is already in the Bear Grease Hall of Fame, and then we're so going when the plaque to goes up, vote. it'll already have a bunch of names. Oh yeah, on it. but then we're going to vote on someone. Okay, okay, are y'all with me? Yep. Oh, yeah. And so I think that it is a given of who would be, and I want to get your your. So I, I, I'm going to make a list of people, and basically I'm going to ask for your your yay or your nay, and they will be officially put into the Bear Grease Hall of Fame. Agreed. Uh, what do you call it if you do something Nay. from before? Uh, retroactive? Like retroactive. I think you're okay. thinking. Grandfathered post- in. Post- Brent, put that Lodge Caster and Skillet right here, if you don't mind. And by the way, it's called a perpetual plaque, not an everlasting plaque. Perpetual plaque. Okay, thank you. Okay, let me see that bone. That's big bear. Okay, I would like to officially make the proposal to the group <laughs> that we induct number one. Daniel. Is this an order of importance? Nope. Okay. Just, just what we've done before. Okay. So from here on out, if we have someone that's eligible, we'll we'll induct them like right after, like right okay. when we it's apparent. Got it. Do you see what I'm saying? Yep. So I would like to nominate for induction into the Bear Grease Hall of Fame, Daniel Boone. Second. Hold on. 
We're going to do this in one group. I always wanted to do that. <laughs> Daniel Boone. Yeah, can I get a Are we can gonna, I get a second? Another one? That'd be a third. Okay, Daniel Boone. Warner Glenn. Mm. We're doing them all that. at once. Roy Clark. So it's all or none. That's right. These okay. are all this is a batch. Okay. Roy Clark. James Lawrence. Uh-huh. I'm in. George McJunkin. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Frederick. Gerstocker. Whoa. Definitely. It's oh, a big That's list. six. I'm on board. Okay, so Frederick Gerstocker would have been in. You want to vote or what? All in favor, say aye. 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 All the nays, say nay. It's official. So let okay. it be written. Daniel Boone, so Warner Glenn, so Roy Clark, written, so James Lawrence, done. and Frederick Gerstocker, and George McJunkin. Yep. are now officially in the Bear Grease Hall of Fame from here on out. How often will I'm new, new inductees be, the be there's made? No, there's, no, there's no schedule. But what I want to do right now is I would like to nominate. So this is how we'll usually do it. Okay. Point of clarification. Yes. Do the living inductees get a benefit like a gift certificate to oh. Golden Corral or something? Mm. They should. Ooh. Okay. Well, We'll table it. Yeah. Revisit it at the next render. Great. Okay. Okay. I would like to nominate for the Bear Grease Hall of Fame, Oralee Province. Oh. I feel like there's some, there's some, I feel like an inductee into the Bear Grease Hall of Fame has characteristics that would be evident and seen by all, but often intangible and indescribable because it's not one thing that these men did. Mm -hmm. It is connected to character. It's connected to longevity. It's connected to connection to the land. It's connection to connected to grit. Mm -hmm. Mm. It's connected to humility. Mm -hmm. You don't, you don't come banging on the lodge cast iron skillet asking to be in the hall of fame. (laughs) Yeah. These men didn't ask. That would be distasteful. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I feel like they have like, to embody the values of the Bear Grease podcast. I feel like uh, Orly Province. I mean, just the guy. He's there. Mm-hmm. Any, are there any public commentary in support? Any, would anybody like to make a speech in support of this? Yeah, I think uh, he embodies everything that a lot of people aspire to be. He did something great, and if. You'd never know it unless you ask him. Yeah. And then, then it was probably like pulling teeth. You know, it wasn't like he went into some big, long, elaborate story about how he killed that deer. He just slipping along the bluff and looking down there, and there he was. That's right. Yeah. I, I second. Second from Brent Reeves. All right. All in favor, say aye. 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 All opposed. All, all opposed, say nay. Nay. Oh. What? <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. What just happened? You just kidding. You're going to recant that? Yep. Okay. Ori Lee Province is now inducted into the Bear Grease Hall of Fame. So now there's seven inductees. Here, here. So we'll just start from there. Somebody okay. write that down. Yeah, we're, we'll, yep. we'll get it written down. So to dive into... Where are you going to put this plaque? There's no room in here. Yeah. We're running low on wall space. Yeah, yeah. We're running low. We'll find a place. We'll find okay. a place. Excellent. Well... I think that to start off our conversation about 
this podcast called the Unusual Whitetail Streak of Oralee Province, we need to we need to sing our song. So we, mm. lucky for you guys, <laughs> we have an original ballad written about Oralee Province that I'd like to sing. I'd like to ask Josh and Misty to accompany me on it. So I wrote this song just this week. I just felt inspired to write a song about Ori Province because I like the guy so much. So this is what I came up with. Misty Newcomb on the banjo, Josh on the guitar, Grant Reeves on the Lodge cast iron skillet with a, with a bare bone. On the eve of the Great Depression in June of 1927, High on the mountain he was born Shucking corn, his shoes were worn And his mama mourned Became a man at age 16 When his daddy died, the family cried And his brothers went to war Ori Province was an Ozark man <laughs> Fried deer meat in a cast iron pan Love the fiddle and Bill Monroe. Skidding logs, oak timber fall, the thunder roll. In 1946, got a good horse, no remorse, cutting cross ties. 35 cents a piece, will starve a man, callous his hands, but he loved the land. Working in the timber. He longed for the cold days of November. Back to the chorus. Everybody. Ori Province was an Ozark man. Fried deer meat in a cast iron pan. That's right. Loved the fiddle and Bill Monroe. Skidding logs, oak timber fall, the thunder rolled. In 1965, the north wind blew, the storm clouds grew, and the beast hunkered again the bluffs. That's right. Ori came a slippin'. When the shot rang out, a great buck went to trippin'. He went and got Eugene. They found 28 points that would hang a wedding ring. That's a good, that's a good line, but that wouldn't be the last. When not two weeks had passed, his muzzle sang another blast. Back to the chorus, everybody. Ori Province was an Ozark man. Come on, Isaac. Right there, mean in a cast iron pan. <laughs> Loved the fiddle and Bill Monroe. Skidding logs of timber fall, the thunder rolled. Last verse. Some would say it's luck, but I would say, well, shucks, he's a bluff-hunting man. He saw a drop-tine buck, shot nine times, blurred the lines, and the big buck fell. He carried 18 points, acorn-fed limestone bread, and an Ozark legend was born. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> All right. That was a good one. All right. <laughs> yeah, it's good.
Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura frame, and we share photos, and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The Aura frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Whitetail Institute launched the food plot revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter-acre food plot. Imperial Whitetail Clover is the only clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding. Clover Extreme Genetic Stability provides extreme cold tolerance, disease, and drought tolerance. It really does. Clover is coated with Whitetail Institute's Rain Bond, a polymer coating added for enhanced seedling survivability. They have an exclusive offer for Bear Grease listeners, 15% off Imperial Clover when you use the code BEAR at whitetailinstitute.com. That's whitetailinstitute.com and use code BEAR for 15% off. The old timers say that the turkeys start gobbling when the leaves are as big as squirrel's ears and the red buds start popping. And we're about there. And we are there in the south. The Onyx Hunt app is one of my most valuable tools in the spring woods. With tools like coniferous versus deciduous tree distribution layer, you can save time by locating edges or transition areas of mixing habitats from home. Find an area like this with water in close proximity, and more than likely, there will be a goblin turkey nearby. Knowing the exact boundaries of private ground ensures I stay on the right side of the fence, but can easily find public ground to go see if I can't strike a gobbler. If you do get one to sound off, using compass mode and waypoints will help you pinpoint his exact location, allowing you to move in and make the perfect setup to bring him right into your lap. Download the Onyx Hunt app today. You'll be glad you did. Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this spring. Hey, just for the world to know, I recognize that I'm not a great singer, so... Uh, but I, I just the passion's just too strong to keep it all in. Make a joyful noise. Just I, I just gotta let her go. Yep. So, uh, yeah, the ballad of an Ozark man. There's some good lyrics in there, There's, man. It's good. It tells it's the good. story. Tells the story. 
It should tell a story. A word promise was an Ozark man. A good Brian song. Brian meeting a cast iron pan. A good song should play a little movie in your head when you're yeah. listening to it. Yes, and that it should. Did. My favorite verse is, uh, he went and got Eugene, and they found 28 points that would hang a wedding ring. I like it. Because the deer actually only officially scored 26 points, 26 scoreable points. Mm-hmm. But by hanging Arkansas. a wedding ring on there it, you yeah. go. it'll score it'll score 28, because that's what Ori Province always said. Yeah. He called it a 28-point buck. Now, the difference is Boone and Crockett recognizes anything over one inch. One inch. Yep. Well, yep. but listen to this. Uh-huh. Okay. This is where it gets deep now, I, and I'm gets listening. real and gets, gets there quick. <laughs> is that, I, and this is getting serious quick, too. Uh-oh. The dream that I had in 2007, and the mm-hmm. picture's right over on that wall. Yeah. I'll put the picture on Instagram. I had a dream that I killed a 24-point buck with a bow. And that year... I killed a buck that, by Boone and Crockett standards, had 21 points. Yeah. But by hanging a ring, it has 24 points. And that you just have to deal with that if you don't believe it. Do you feel like God is not um, Boone and Crockett certified? Is that what you're saying? It's not, not what I'm saying. I'm just saying these are the facts. These are the facts. Uh, what did y'all think of uh, the Oralee Province? story. I love it. What'd you love about it, Misty? Well, I think that I, I love this story because I remember when it happened, you took Shep with you on that, on that trip. And I think from, I mean, probably the reason I loved it is a little different than the reason all the hunters are, but it's, it's like a personal connection to the story and what that, that produced. How old was Shep when you took him? He was just well, a guy, wasn't he? He was, he was squeaky a, voice he was 11. Little. I think he was 11 years was old. Was he only 11? Well, I mean, it was in 2019. I mean, I know almost the exact date. It Man, was March of 2019. He looks so little Well, in that picture. Yeah, a lot happens from 11 to yeah. 14, though. Yeah. Well, he, um, he's, he's, I remember that year at school, they were learning about World War II. Uh-huh. And they said something about, about when it ended. And Shep knew, knew immediately. He was like... It, 45, I think, and, yep. and, he, and he was like, I know it ended. He argued with someone about when it ended, but he knew the story because of <laughs> sitting story. in that room. Yeah. Yeah. He was just sitting in the room. That's good. And to me, I just thought this is a great way, like what a wonderful tradition to hear oral history. And that uh, it made, you know, it really demonstrated the value of oral history and of having yeah. young people make connections with older people and hear their stories because it helps them piece together the world. Because like you said at the end, time is moves faster than you realize and oh, that yeah, Shep will have, yeah. you know, that history in his life and he'll be able to tell that history to a generation, you know, Lord willing, a generation that is a lot, has the same spread in terms of on the other end than him. And that's how we know our, our people. That's how we know our stories. That's how we know our history. Yeah. I just think it's so valuable. And that was such a special experience for our family. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. Yeah. Misty, I totally, I totally agree with you. I, there's something that I've always, since I was little, I, I was fortunate enough to know all my great-grandparents on my mother's side. Mm-hmm. And uh, w- one of my great-grandfathers emigrated from Europe. And he would tell me, he was 17 in 1915, and he would tell me stories of when he came to the U.S. through Ellis Island. Oh, and I, remember I thought he the, would came through the land bridge. <laughs> And I remember how impacting those stories were and listening to Mr. Ori, it had that same flavor. And it's like you latch onto those things and, and, uh, you know, the simplicity with which he lived his life. And, you know, I was thinking about, um, as he was talking in my mind, the phrase, 
simplicity is stability. You know, mm. to think about mm. he, they had nothing, yeah, but they were stable. Mm. You know, and there's there's a stability that comes with a simple life that Mr. Ori was able to communicate, and uh, yeah, yeah, just a beautiful. It's a beautiful thing to listen to that oral history. Yeah, yeah. my grandfather was born in 1913 on my mama's side. And he told me the difference in the depression was that they didn't know they was in one until they everybody shouted hooray we're out of it and they're like well this is like last wednesday <laughs> so they were eating what they grew what they hunted you know what they raised and everything and it just wasn't no the the bank was you know in the kitchen cabinet where they if they got money for selling something hides or furs or or vegetables or whatever you know they put it in a, in a can in the a coffee can in the in the cabinet yeah but other than that you know they didn't know what was going on and it's very similar to what i loved when he said we had plenty to eat yeah yeah you know yeah. everybody did yeah. it may have been you know in my grandfather's case you know they was catching possums and rendering them out i mean feeding them out and then eating them yeah but it was also whatever but he he said oh we had plenty to eat yeah like that was silly yeah, yeah, it was, was almost like he play. was like, "That's a dumb question." Yeah, it was yeah. a non-event. Dad, what what do you think about it? Well, he reminded me of Roy. Was it Roy Clark from yeah. Tennessee? Yeah. It, you know, I kept taking both of their lives and kind of like going, "They're so similar," you know, uh, and the way they talk. I mean, I just I just love that dialect. It's just it's just beautiful to listen to. In course, he had a simple life, but to kill what he killed in a basically a week or two, you know, it's just it's just pretty phenomenal. Uh, yeah, and so it. Uh, I spent my whole time thinking about luck. What is luck? I mean, mm-hmm. you know. So I, I kind of focused on what did you what, think? What the underlying behind it. Uh, what do I think about? Yeah, take us into your thoughts on that. Well, I don't think it's luck, man. I mean, I think uh, I've got a friend that just, I called him before I got up here. I got a friend that's hit 13 hole-in-ones on a golf really? course. 13. Jimmy Sears. You know Jimmy. <laughs> you serious? And I called Jimmy. I said, Jimmy, was it nine, 13? How many? He said, it's 13. And I said, did you, uh, did you have any streaks where you did two or three in a row? He said, no, I never did more than one in a year. Of course, he's my age. We're the same age. So he'd been playing golf a lot of years. And so I said, well, you play 220 times a year. There's usually an average of four par threes on an 18-hole course. I first said, Jimmy, you had 600 shots a year at a hole-in-one. And, With and, a par three? And, yeah, and he yeah. said, so you're no. Say, you're saying only a par three? Yeah, yeah I mean, you're not going to get a hole-in-one on a par four or par five. Gotcha. He said, no, there's like four. He said, I, I had about 400, 800 shots a year to make those. Hmm. And his good buddy, who's also a good buddy of mine, is not that good of a golfer. And he said, he's had one or two just blind luck, you know. Mm-hmm. He's not a good golfer. And he still, because he played a lot. But Jimmy plays 220 times a year. So, I mean... If he wasn't good, he, he probably would have had three or four hole-in-ones. Well, but he's really, really, he's one of the top senior golfers in the state of Arkansas. Yeah. In my opinion. 
I remember. So relate it to relate it to Ori. So so, so Ori, he's he's in the woods a lot. He's he's good with his gun. Holy cow, shooting a running buck. Yeah. You got to be kidding Nine me. Nine times he must have had an AR-15. I mean, no, what rifle never... back then was shooting, had nine rounds I don't in know it. how he loaded. That's just what he told me. You know, I would have never probably shot at the deer. I would have gone, wow, what a buck. You know, I mean, so he had the wherewithal to, I mean. Back well, in the day, what? you had to shoot it because you couldn't take a picture of it with your iPhone. So, so yeah. where Jimmy's really good with a club and a ball. You know, or he's good with a gun. He knows how to hunt. He's in the woods a lot. He's doing all this stuff. He created his own look. Now, yeah. once that that opportunity, that's the key thing, is opportunity. He had he saw an opportunity. He took advantage of the opportunity, and he was skilled and ready. I mean, he, yeah. I, I would never have hit the deer. I would have been in a panic. I wouldn't have even had time to. I mean, you know what yeah. I'm saying? Well, there's, yeah. a, there's an old saying in golf, and it's I've seen it attributed to 15 different people. But the more you practice, the luckier you'll get. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. I know you've yeah. heard that. Yeah. Yeah. Which means the more you do something, I mean. Just a better chance. You put yourself You're, in the right so, spot. So to me, you know, what I, what I came up with, and I, a lot of this, I don't know, it's not original thinking probably, but, you know, luck is – is kind of like the definition you I heard you say the definition of luck. Right. It, it's it's almost like a little story I read where a guy said he was in New York City, he was sixty years old, he had a business, he wanted to sell it. And he heard a guy say, Mr. Buffett. And this guy goes, Ching Ching, Buffett, New York City. And he said, I walked over and I said, Are you Warren Buffett? And the guy said, Yeah. He said, "I got a business I'm trying to sell. I think, I think you'd like to hear the deal." Eventually, he sells, he sells the guy Warren Buffett this business. I mean, so that that was luck. He oh, heard so he so heard the name. He just but, happened but, to be but there. Then there was he, no skill involved in right, him being standing there. But then he there. had he had the wherewithal to say, "Here's an opportunity. I'll never have it again," and he took advantage of it. Mm. And, yeah. the, and the capacity to pitch something. Yeah, and well he had the ability. He would listen to him. And he had a product, you know, that was really, really good, you know. So uh, there was a little luck that that deer came by. I mean, no question, but still, he was there. He was yeah. equipped. He was ready. He took advantage of it. I'm no gonna, doubt. I'm gonna play devil's advocate. Okay. I'm gonna completely disagree with Gary because I think that could be said if. Ori Province had killed those deer when he was 60. But according to when he said he was born, he was 28 years old. He was 38. 38, 38 years old. Yeah. How many years have you hunted? Well, I'm, uh, you know. I mean, you're in the woods, a, you're in the woods a lot. You're in the woods a lot, right? <laughs> How many years I mean, I'm 42. How so many 180-inch deer have you killed? And, I mean, you're hunting the same territory, and our deer numbers are greater than what they were back then. Right. So there had to be something, because, I mean, there are skilled hunters that we know who hunt hard, who won't ever even see a deer that big. That was the only part of it that, if you were, if you were making a case to an to a unbiased jury, not from this planet, that didn't understand luck or anything, is you would say, this man was very prepared, he was very diligent, he was very skilled, he'd put in his time. 
but the size of these deer was wild, especially when you understand age structures of whitetails. Because let's just say those were six-and-a-half-year-old deer, five-and-a-half-year-old deer, which is the old deer. The chance of – that could have translated into just like a nice eight-point. I mean, yeah. I think one of the oldest deer I ever killed is about a 115-inch eight-point over there with big old heavy bases, and he was just a brute and just an old – I felt like he was an old deer. But he just had like a little, little scrubby set of horns. And the fact that twice – he killed an older age class deer that carried that yeah. kind of stuff. What that's what was wild. Now, if he'd have just because I, I tried to make this analogy inside the podcast was that that year he may have killed two five and a half year old deer that were 135 inch eight points, which would have been more common. Gary, I, I agree with what Josh is saying except for one thing: <laughs> Ori oh. was looking for a deer. Yeah, you, you know the guy that sold his business to Warren Buffett just heard the name Buffett. I mean, you know, if he'd have just been walking around with his gun, just looking and go, oh, there's a big deer. You know, he was looking for deer. So I, I more agree with you than some of the stuff I'm saying. But so the I, fact was he was looking for that deer. Right. I would ask so that I think, guy if his name was Jimmy. <laughs> Jimmy I think Buffett. the question that was, isn't. That would be your response. <laughs> That's what I was Are you Jimmy? <laughs> Are you Jimmy? <laughs> I think the question isn't, was it luck? I think the greater question is, what is luck? Right. You know what I mean? Because and really clearly the, there, was, the, there was some kind of favor there. The question, it, I use the term luck. Isaac and I talked about this before. I use the, I don't really, I might use the term luck just so people understand what I'm talking about. I really don't believe in luck. I mean, I, I use that term because we all can identify. When I say luck, you're like, oh, I know what you're talking about. But that was my, the whole point of my thing is, is what is luck? And, and is there, because in, in a, in a, I tried to make it clear, is that there's actually, there's, when you root it down to the very foundational position, there's two, there's a split in the road when you start to define luck and its origin. And one is this naturalistic approach that it's just chance. And then the other one would be a supernatural why in the road of there's something outside of this place orchestrating things to happen to people that are beyond their control for a specific reason. I mean, that is you by know. definition providence. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the difference between providence and luck. Really? Okay. Do you have the definition of providence? See, yeah. I, I wouldn't even really have caught that. I, I take Isaac so much more serious with this outfit on. <laughs> well, I got to stop wearing gym shorts and um, uh, the protective care of a god or an, of nature as a spiritual power. God or nature as providing protective or spiritual care. Timely preparation for future eventualities. Okay, providence. Yeah. So okay, so really, that's what I was. <laughs> that's what we were talking about. It was luck or providence. Yeah, not province. And Ori's last name. But also, was you're introducing. Providence. That's that's the, why the title now, works. Now Clay gets province it, or providence. Now he wishes he would have gone with it and paid Got attention. It. Well, I didn't text him <laughs> hey, back listen, until like listen. seven p.m., which is after Isaac the deadline. Anyway, always has like really deep, catchy titles <sighs> for stuff. That I don't get for like a minute or two. And then and it's so, after the deadline? Well, it's after I immediately respond back, I don't get it. And then I realize it, well, it's really good. There's there's two styles. It's either that or just uh, like empirically bad. 
and yeah. you go like, not that, but yeah. that inspired the actual yeah, title. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah. I've, I'm not, I'm not a median guy. I'm like one extreme <laughs> or the other. But I think you're ta- you kind of actually got three things. You don't just have luck and providence. You've also got this real strong, and Gary's bringing that in, and several of your the the guys who talked are bringing that in. Also, merit. That merit. this is just yeah. this. There's I, luck. Totally That's, strikes me as a false dichotomy. Yeah, there's it's, there's three different things that you're really examining okay. here. Was this luck? Was this the? Y'all think we should go back and just erase the podcast? No, I no, but this is we, we it's okay. We can make it look like an accident. Where's episode sixty-two? <laughs> Our account got hacked. <laughs> I'm kidding. Luck, go ahead, go ahead. luck, providence, or was this? Was, is this a result of hard work? Total just yeah. Yeah, mer- is this a he, he because of his hard he work? Earned it. He right. was yeah. there. Yeah, there you and go. That, and so it was merit. And I think that that is the narrative that fits best inside of the American psyche. That's that's kind of more how we think about the world. That's like what, he, that's like he paid his dues, he and so he had dues. this one yeah. coming. Because of his hard work, this happened. Yeah. That's, that's, our, that's our, you know, rugged individualistic value system, is that right. people get what they, they reap what they sow, and he did good things, and he's right. reaping the benefit oh. of it. Yeah. And so that's this, like, third thing over here. And, and I think what you're, what you're talking about with, like, that, that buck right there, the one, the biggest one you ever killed, you know. That was, that was not merit. That was there right. was something way more to it than right. that. Well, and so you're seeing it through that lens. And I think there's other cultures who would definitely not ever think that they would never put merit in there as a piece of the. This is why this happened. They would always see it as providence. Yeah, mm. but I think D, it's all of the above. I, it, yeah, <laughs> it, it's fundamentally both because if you had had that dream but you had never shot a bow, right. Like, right. a, that's nothing, right? Pause. Or Would like, he have had the dream if he never shot a bow? Oh, no. Oh, God. We got a real... Dad, gummit. We got a, a real Schrodinger's buck over oh, here. Man, oh, man, Isaac. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> um, Hold anyway, on there, cowboy boots. I put on my cowboy boots, and all of a sudden, I've got million-dollar words. No, but seriously, uh, like, a great example is, like, if Ori Province was born 20 years earlier, like, what stuck at what, like, neon words... When you were interviewing, he's like, I, I walk 20, 25 miles a day. You guys, you ever walk 20 or 25 miles a <laughs> yeah. day regularly? Yeah, good like, point. Yeah. I, I can do that, but it is brutal. And so it's like he fundamentally put in some work, right? Yeah. But if he was born 20 years earlier, it wouldn't have mattered if he walked 20 or 25 miles a day because there were no deer. Oh, no deer. Literally no deer. Yeah. It wouldn't have mattered a lick. And so, like, I, I cannot separate the two. I think that there's providence. Yeah, I, I, I don't subscribe to the idea of blind luck. Um, but I, I wouldn't, that's not a mountain I'd die on. I think there's providence and then I think there's merit. And I think that he had both of those things going. And that's kind of what I was saying when I said, sometimes people want to just grab hold of one thing or the other. Yeah. Just like, yeah, it's all chance. Yeah. It's all chance. There's no, there's nothing but chance in the universe. Yeah. And, or, or someone say the other side of it, which would be like every minuscule thing the the, the, the Brent's chair just squeaked because you know x y and z yeah yeah so so it's like there's there's like have, have every deer that i've killed have i felt like it was like life-changing monumental it wasn't my chair it was brent's chair <laughs> no did yeah. that deer change my life yeah there's no one on this earth that will ever convince me otherwise it it, it really did yeah and uh and so was that deer important was that deer did something from another place yeah 
I think we do need to help talk about that, that deer a Let's, little bit more. Sure. I think we need to, and I think we need to talk about, especially if you're going to put the picture on Instagram. There's some side text on the picture. Yeah, there's a note on there that we probably need away. to explain. And I will say, when you brought that deer back, Ava, Josh's youngest daughter, was here. Oh yeah, Josh's daughter. Forgot was about here. that. And Ava Bear, was here. And I, I she mean, would have been little. They were got, tiny a babies. Of her with they me were with big that old fat cheek babies. And they both, we've got pictures of both of those two, Bear yeah. and Ava, standing over. They're in their PJs. And and their little fat cheeks are just sitting there smiling at it, not having any idea. Two thousand seven. What it represented. All right, family. give us the story. Wait a minute. Well, you, on the he, deer, he kind of told you. Well, on no, no, that. no, you were going to say. Well, I was just saying. I think. I mean, I think that that, you know, you're you're kind of bringing that in, and I thought the way you brought that in at the end was sort of underwhelming. It was kind of a, a big, huge deal. The I thought. I mean, maybe it's because of the impact it's had on us, but I thought it was a little bit. Like I didn't do a good job. Um, I'm not saying you I just didn't, didn't want to. I didn't want to. I didn't, <laughs> didn't want to make turn it, it into the Clay Newcomb yeah, story. I didn't, yeah. didn't want to make, but I wanted to throw it out there. Like, yeah, this is you stuff had this that happens dream to people, and you drew it out, and yeah, you so put a note in on Ju- there in July. Mm-hmm. I think it says July 2007. I'll look at it, mm-hmm. and I, I, I saw the buck, and I woke up, and I drew pictures of it. And the buck that I drew has really long curved brow mm-hmm. tines it's got a burr point and it's got kickers mm-hmm. and if you look at that buck and look at the buck i killed it's it, crazy they, they look a lot alike yeah. and i wrote a i wrote a note on the the sketch i said do not throw away misty like, not, was there a comma there well, okay. no there That's is like, no comma so he is talking <laughs> but she's the direct I knew, object i knew what would happen is i i drew it and then yeah. i didn't really have a place to put the sketch or or at the time i didn't and so I just knew it was just going to be like laying around like on my bed stand. Clay would write down incredibly important phone numbers or confirmation <laughs> numbers and just set them down and then be like, why did you throw that away? And it's like, it was literally on so a it's piece the of definition torn of up. trash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, I framed the, the sketch and then there's a cutout. Uh, there's a picture of the deer in this little frame. But um, and writing about that is one of the things that jump started your. Oh, it was the only thing I never thing. even I never even thought about writing an article or going into the outdoor industry at all. Right, just killed a big deer. Yep, and I was like, man, it'd be pretty cool to write a story about it because yeah. because there was an angle that I had on the story from a tactical sense. I actually really used a lot. Of, I mean, I hunted the deer fifteen mornings at the time. I could only hunt in the morning, and so I hunted I hunted mornings. The only t- the only days I didn't hunt was I went down to your deer camp, Dad. So I killed the deer on October the 18th. I spent three mornings at your deer camp. So fift- basically 15 straight mornings I hunted for that deer and uh, and killed him on the 18th. And this was before we had trail cameras and stuff. So yeah. I had ju- I had seen the deer with my own eyes one time yeah. in this spot and ended up hunting there. And I, I rattled him in on, on a balmy, windy, like, 72 degree morning on October 18th. But you had the dream when? July of 2007. Killed so it in three October of 2007. Yeah. And the and the thing is it's like you know like you can you can say I'm I'm not trying to make the dichotomy here but like to illustrate the point that it's both is like you hunted 15 straight mornings. Right. You know what I mean? Like you didn't go out October 1st and like plug it and go. Yeah, yeah All no, right. there was some work involved. Dad. Did you uh, I know. I think I know the answer to this. But did you ever see that deer, or you know? Yeah, I. I, I at could, the time, could I had that a, have related to your dream at all? Oh well, I, I videoed the deer in late August. 
But you didn't see it in July. Before the dream. Before the dream. No, 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 no. The dream. I never knew the deer was alive until. Well, you two would, months the after the antlers wouldn't have looked like that in July of 2007. Well, the, you're right. And right, the next right. thing is, the, the first time I saw the deer was uh, actually the first time I saw that deer was like September the eighth or ninth of 2007. So let's get the timeline. You have, I think it's helpful for listeners. All right, July, you have the you have the dream. Yeah, mm-hmm. August. I remember waking up and it was a big yeah. bright morning, and I was going out to get hot. That's all I remember. I was going to work. Yeah, August. <laughs> <laughs> So that's not helpful for the timeline. <laughs> just, I'm, just, I'm just relating what I see in my yeah. mind. I remember waking up. Just a little it, color commentary. And it, we yeah, just need remember, just, We just need yes or no, sir. Just bare details, just for the listeners to have a clear details. Uh, all right. So yeah. All right. So July, see you have the two dream. Hands? Oh man. I used to work with these two hands. <laughs> July, you have the dream. Now I write songs. August. Okay. <laughs> dear. August, you see the deer. Does the deer look like the deer you saw in the dream in August? Oh, I never made the connection. Okay. You you kill the deer. I never in made the connection until like long after I even killed the deer. Like it wasn't like I was that's like impressive in other ways. It wasn't <laughs> I don't think that's a compliment. I'm just kidding. I mean, I don't remember how long. Yeah. But but I mean it wasn't like I shot the deer and I was like, that yeah. was the deer in the dream. Like it was sometime yeah. after I was like, yeah. man, I, I drew a picture. Yeah. I mean, it was that, you know, like I almost didn't draw the picture. Yeah. It wasn't like I was like, I'm going to kill a deer this year. Yeah. It was just like I had a dream. It was really clear, vivid, impacting. You felt like it was significant when you woke up. Yeah. Yeah. I remember more about the dream. I could tell. Signi- I, I remember more about the dream, too. Yeah. Because I remember you talking to me yeah. about it. Because I was like, what's and, this? And, Misty, uh, don't throw away. But Don't throw away Misty. Yeah. So it was sometime after that. I realize it, but I think that's your next song title. Don't throw away Misty. <laughs> Don't throw away Misty. <laughs> I'd like to hear I'd that like, ballad. Yeah, two that's weeks. a good ballad right there. The ballad of the, I call that book Dagger. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, I got something to say about uh, what Mo Shepard was saying about yeah. getting loaded up and going over to see it. Like, I'm not here to say like technology is the downfall of human civilization or whatever, but like it made me like it immediately took me to the floating tote in El Dorado Springs, Missouri, where we go check in our deer. And everybody would go post up there. You'd pull in tote. the floating tote. You'd pull in in your truck, and all of a sudden, everybody'd come over, start looking over the bed. Oh, yeah. You just yeah. couldn't. If you got anything halfway decent, you couldn't wait to get down there yeah. and yeah. just just talk about it and see what everybody had so going on. So you were on. saying like, Mo's dad would have just looked on Facebook, yeah, rather oh, than hey, gone to hey Ori's house, yeah, Ori Look Ori. At that. Or Ori would have texted him and said, yeah. hey, I killed a big deer. Congrats. I, it, there's just something magical about like being there in person and like that community connection of like going over and seeing it and you yeah. know, feeling, feeling proud Putting about it. On it. And, yeah. yeah. Isaac's describing social capital. Social capital Talk is what I was describing. It's, I mean, he's, what he's talking about is the networks that people form and how those, those create identity. They create resources. When, you, when economists look at the world and they look at human capital, they look at economic resources – to evaluate nations, to evaluate mm-hmm. communities. But these other these social scientists came up with this other term in the mid to late 90s called social capital. And it's how people are connected to each other. And they, ah. they I mean, it, it actually came up earlier than that, but it got popularized in the mid 90s. But that, that those connections actually provide a, a resource to that community that is as valuable as 
the economic connections. And you, they mm. look at this in terms of marriage. They look at this in terms of voting patterns, the way they evaluate whether there's social capital in a community. And it's, it's been in pretty much steady decline since the middle part. Okay. I mean, I, that's fascinating. That, yeah. that nails it what, with what Isaac's saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Social, social capital, capital is like having gold coins. Social media is like using credit cards. <laughs> no, no. Social media is like those uh, chocolate gold coins. Exactly. Okay, there's They're something there. Yeah. A little hit of dopamine. I never saw Ori Province without a pair of overalls on. That didn't make it in the song. I tried to find overalls. Oh, that, it didn't happen. I felt it. You felt his overalls? Yeah, I, yeah. I felt like this man was... Yeah, for real. Like, I don't know that he was like what, Brent. What kind mm-hmm. of footwear did he wear? <laughs> I um, bet he wasn't Crocs. That's a good question. Tevas. He was a Tiva man. <laughs> he was more of a Jocko's guy. You know, <laughs> I saw him just wear kind of like uh, just brown leather lace up boots. Yeah. I couldn't tell you the, yeah, I couldn't tell you the, the brand. Here's, here's another question on the, uh, on the front of social media. I feel like because today it's so prevalent, I had this like, incongruence in my mind of like only wanting to shoot big deer because I want to post them on social media so I can get validation in that way. Right. And so like shooting big deer is tied to my self-worth. And so like so feeling just, weird inside to grow your hair out. <laughs> I, I'm looking for social validation in, or external validation in any way. But like this idea, like when I listened to it, it didn't sound like there was some disappointment that he peaked early as a hunter or something like that. It's like the end goal was not like killing the biggest deer, but it was just going and killing deer and enjoying being in the woods and enjoying hunting. Yeah. And like when I listen to that, I go like, man, that's really cool to have like killed two arguably world-class deer in the span of two weeks early on in your hunting career. Yeah. And and not to like carry resentment or a grudge about like yeah they didn't they they were they were meat hunting they they wanted they liked killing big deer sure but like he would have killed a basket rack eight point just as fast as he would have killed one of those other deer and I think that would have been really common back in those that period of time James Lawrence killed his biggest deer in the sixties wasn't it yeah the first deer he ever killed so. You know, you look at that, uh, and there weren't as many hunters. Yep. Those big deer were out there because they weren't getting hunted as much. Yep. And, and, you know, Lawrence's family, they were hunting over here where the deer sign was. And and James was going where, where the uneducated guy would go. Yeah. He was doing stupid stuff. He kills this huge buck. And a lot of times you'll see stories where a little kid, this 12-year-old kid's killed a 190-point buck, you know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's buck. Well, the reason that happened is because his uncles said, hey, look, kid, don't know what he's doing. Put him down there they, where old Junior used to sit for years and never yeah. saw a deer. Yeah. Let's get the good stands for us guys yeah. that know how to kill them. Well, they send him down there, and guess what? Yeah. He kills the big buck because the big bucks don't run where I hunt. I guarantee you, I know they don't. I don't want <laughs> to kill. There. I don't want to kill a big buck. You got to sit. It's too hard. I mean, I want to sit where a bunch of activities going on. Well, like tying right into that, like they just and tying into luck, they just had uh, what was the guy's name? Dustin Huff was that oh, his right. name yeah. on the Meat Eater podcast? Yeah. And they got down a rabbit hole of talking about how many people kill big deer the first time they sit somewhere. He right. killed. Yeah. The record for, is it 
it, America, it's the, United yeah, States. It's the United States, the United, biggest yeah. typical. And it was the first time he'd sat in that stand. And it was just like, oh, that I guess that makes sense. That educated buck is going to get wise. Hey, there's the, the second step to that that you never hear is that no one else is sitting in that stand either yeah. in a long time. Yeah. So that buck is there because Those, if you're smart, smart you don't yeah. hunt there. You're yeah. going to hunt a scrape or yeah. a rub over here. And that yeah. buck is smart and says, and I goes, know where the people go. I'm going to be over here. <laughs> well, hey, I talked with uh, the, 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 the whitetail deer biologist for the state of Arkansas to get some of the data on that reintroduction of deer. Um and I, I spoke with him, and he, he, he said the same thing. He said in the 1960s, there, there were actually more deer in the 1960s than probably I thought there would have been. 30 deer per square mile is actually a decent amount of deer. And in some places, there were 30 deer per square mile. Maybe not that deep in the mountains where Ori was at because it's just rough, full canopy stuff. But he said the same thing. He said... There just weren't a lot of people out there hunting. And so there were there were bucks that were getting old. And so yeah, there's there's something to be said there. And I guarantee you, and I haven't looked at the weather patterns during that time, but I have followed the mountain man big buck contest for about twenty plus years. And on years like this year, I guarantee you probably I guarantee you probably <laughs> it's possible highly likely hundred <laughs> percent guarantee you yeah. <laughs> that the deer are gonna be of less quality on a really dry droughty year because the nutrition of these animals coming into the to the to the to the, to the summer mm-hmm. the nutrition they have but new Antler growth is also connected to how they did last fall. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things connected to ant- antler growth, but it's connected probably, to the mom's nutrition when the deer was in the womb. Yeah, it's connected to a lot of stuff, but it is seasonal. Like on a dry yeah. year, like there's usually a mountain man. Usually there's like one deer that might net Boone and Crockett, and that's a four county area in northwest Arkansas. Maybe one, two deer net Boone and Crockett. Uh, the year that I killed my big buck in 2007. Proud of you. There were, thank you. Uh, <laughs> there were two deer that netted Boone and Crockett. Yeah. That hung on the wall because I took my buck to the Mountain Man Big Buck Contest. Yeah, you did. Of course I did. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, in 1960, those deer weren't near as smart as they are now. Right, not they're, as much pressure. I mean, you I know, these that. deer just said, okay, I'm going to walk below this buff. Bluff, you know, this is a cool way to walk. Well, they're not going to do that today. And if you go to those same mountains. <laughs> That's the way deer talk, too. You know, yeah. if you go to the same area, you're probably not going to find that big a buck in there. Right. That deer would have gotten, if he were living in the last 10 years. He got killed when he was two. Yeah, he'd, you know, he got killed when he was about three or four years old, you know yeah. what I mean? So yeah, that's, there's a lot of people that hunt in that part of the world now, for sure. Yeah. So, so luck. You know, I still don't really understand the luck part, but he was a little lucky. But well, and you know, and he Mo, was good. Mo Shepard, who is today one of the best deer hunters I know for that part of the world, just big woods, deep public land hunting. And Mo's never killed a 170, 180 inch deer, and he's killed a lot of deer and a lot of old deer. And that is just luck of the draw on like. Mo is hunting as big and old a deer as there are out there and killing them. 
and they usually have about 130, 140 inch racks. You know, the odd one's going to be up in the 150s, and that's just pretty standard. Um, and there are these outliers that do happen, and um, yeah, it's pretty unique, pretty unique. But I think I think what I was getting at is that our understanding of how the world works influences our decisions. You know, but oh, yeah. I I do believe that we bank on street whatever you want to call it i'm going to call it luck just because just we bank on unmerited favor coming to us we do i mean and actually the human i thought about this since the podcast let's erase this podcast and do it again isaac i think it's a good podcast listen (laughs) the human (laughs) human metabolism is built upon the potential for fortuitous streaks of luck. We literally like are designed to gorge ourselves at times and our bodies store fat for when the next day and the day after that and the day after that, we can't find a fruit tree full of fruit or we don't make a kill. And that's the reason that the majority of Americans are obese is because we've get lucky every day when it comes to food then in 2020. Good streak of luck. Do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> I know I mean, exactly because it's, what you're it's saying. Sometimes it's like, yeah. how do we, how do we, uh, we're just not designed to have a gourmet meal every single meal of every single day of our life. We're built to have some good fortune at times and some lean times at times. And it all kind of evens out in the end. Here's another interesting thing that I thought of while Tony Peterson was talking about is this idea of placebos because he was talking about yeah. psyching yourself up, right? Yeah, You're doing that was something a good point, mentally. Yeah. A placebo has a measurable effect, which is crazy for everybody who doesn't know. A placebo is like a uh, man. Those cowboy boots just changed his I life. Know. It's He's pretty like the amazing. smartest guy in the room. Yeah. All of a no, 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 yeah. no, 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 no. They changed your life. I've been guy, the same guy the, the whole time. The, the leg tattoo guy I knew before. <laughs> I I've mean, been the same guy the whole say. time. You just were, were casting aspersions on me because of my <laughs> appearance. <laughs> I don't even know where okay. here's the deal. A, a, a placebo is is like a, um, uh, I don't know how to define <laughs> it's it. It's a control. In it's, yeah, a yeah, it's a control. And so like it has a measurable effect. So you can be given a non-medication and it makes you better Given a sugar pill yeah. instead of actual medication. And what's even and you cr- get better. And, and you get better still. And yeah. what's crazier than that is it is also a measurable effect if you know it's a placebo. Even Which is like mind boggling. I don't know what the de- to what degree it is, but it's just like the the human brain has, or the human body, or the human spirit, or whatever it is, has an amazing ability to impact real outcomes. That's good. That's good, Isaac. Uh, yeah. One day, hey, you, I did it. One day, you may hey, run this podcast. Keep, I did it this year. I did it this year. I posted on social media. Felt cute. Might kill a big deer later. What did I do? Killed a big one. Thirty minutes later, I killed yeah. a, a gross one sixty one. Eight deer. point. One wow. day they may do a story about your. One day they may induct you, me into, the Bear, be in the, Bear Hall Hall into the Bear Grease Hall of Fame. Uh, yeah. Wait, <laughs> you know, is Clay getting got, inducted? He's, he's got a lot of years of proven character to. to I thought it was interesting. Inducted. Like when I go like hunting or if I go fishing and I like, there's this sense of catching a big fish. I always try to. Think well. I'm not going to catch a big fish. Oh, yes. 
or I'm not going to kill a deer today. Managing and I, there's expectations. Almost, yeah, there's yeah. almost this sense of if I do, it's this bonus. Yeah. I'm going to have a good time. And if I don't, oh. I won't be disappointed. Yeah. yeah. Man, I never stepped to the plate. I don't think I ain't fishing hit it out of the park. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? Yeah. Every time. I'm, I'm very much more it's just one crash of expectation I mean, <laughs> after another. <laughs> I'm, no, I'm always hitting homers, Jack. <laughs> high expectations and high results. Yeah, yeah I'm definitely Low in risk. the Josh Spielmaker camp of mitigating expectations. You've heard of the Casey Shreve says that my epit what is it called on your gravestone? Epit epitaph. epitaph will be manage expectations. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Well, I really enjoyed this podcast. And for, for people that would have been following along on the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast, they would have heard the full interview. So actually, it, yeah. it would be like a bonus episode if you wanted to hear it's really good. the unedited full mm-hmm. version. I talked to Mr. Ori for an hour and a half. Yeah. So on this podcast, there was 21 minutes. So there's actually a lot more. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's uh, good, too. It's just, it is. It's, it's totally unedited. So it's us, like, talking about the weather, us, you know kind of doing stuff but it was it was good there was a lot on it his wife came on and talked and told how she puts up corn and how she cooks deer meat and she told about her grandchildren you know i I, my favorite parts of these podcasts my favorite part of that whole episode was the very beginning well close to the beginning when i you hear the screen door open yeah and mr ori goes hey clay how you doing and then I talk to him, and then his wife comes in, and she says, "Oh, excuse the house. Yep. I just was going to vacuum, and I didn't want to do it." And then da, da, da. you could add a sandwich off that floor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it just, it just, it just kind of, I don't know. If you've been there, you just know those people. Yeah. And it, uh, it kind of tells the story, and uh, yeah, they, they, he was a relic of a man, and, and I continue to be amazed and tried to make the point on the podcast that. Every generation has a touch point with a much older generation that they think are like the real deal. Yeah. Like when I look at Ori Province and Lou and Newcomb, my grandfather, and uh, and uh, guys that aren't here anymore. Yeah. I'm like, man, they were the real old timers. Like when I look at dad, like dad's not an old timer. I mean, like, you know, to me, you're 75. And it's... But it's because we're 74, 74. Come because on, we're pretty close in age. <laughs> Give them the year. <laughs> but to my, to my kids, they'll talk about their granddad and be like, golly, he was born in like 1773, <laughs> or, you know. But the, uh, my point is, is that everybody, I actually talked to Brooks Blevins about this one time, the Ozark historian, academic guy, Dr. Brooks Blevins. And he said every single generation has, for a period of time, the oldest possible people that they could interact with. And those guys always have something very different and a very different life experience than you. And so they're really intriguing. But there was a time when Ori Province was like on the pop culture cutting edge of time when he was 18 years old. And, and the old timers to him were born in the 1830s. Right. That was my point inside of that. It's, it's kind of mind-boggling. Yeah. And Daniel Boone, Daniel Boone would have one time just been like the dude driving down the road, driving a you know, 2019 Chevy Silverado four-wheel drive with a couple mules in the back. You know, uh, He <laughs> just would have been like a normal guy. 
Yeah. And he would have interacted with people. Because <laughs> most don't normal have, people normal carry people don't around have mules with in a the stock back of their... With a stock trailer in the back, no trailer, that's where I'm headed. Um, <laughs> point being, you, you can't imagine Daniel Boone looking back in history and going, man, the old timers. But he was he just did. like us. Yeah. Just like us. You know? Daniel Boone was like two people back, three people back. I mean, he's not that yeah. far. Lincoln is not that far back from right. us, really. Right. You know, you go back to Jesus Christ, 20 people. I mean, I figured it before. When you right. were a kid, we probably talked about it. Yeah. You know, you just go back. I had an old buddy that was in his 90s, and I'm thinking, okay, he's born here. You know, if he knew somebody back, you know. Yeah. And you just you start tumbling that back. And, I mean, it's really Lincoln and I are about the same age, you know. <laughs> yeah. You get to yeah. thinking about it. In the big picture. Yeah. 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 For real. The last yeah. uh, The last widow of a civil war veteran died in 2020 what what yeah at 101 oh. she got married when she was young and he was, old, he was old and then she lived to 101 wow put that in your pipe and smoke it isaac's one day gonna run bear grease <laughs> He's running like they, they know because she was still drawing his pension which was like seven dollars or something like that wow in confederate dollars Man, I hope not. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just trying to figure out. There's a crypto. It was in crypto. I don't, I, I don't buy it. You don't buy what? The last Come on, widow. Isaac. Yep. 18? Don't doubt Isaac Neal. So what year did they get married? No, she, I read that. at I age 17, talking. married 93-year-old widower James Bolin. Pause. Oh, she was, she it was, was digging it, for it, that money. She married him not during the Civil War. <laughs> no. She oh, married him. She was, him. She gotcha, was a gotcha, Civil gotcha, War gotcha, veteran. Gotcha. Okay. We call her a... Gold digger. That's fascinating. We need to do a in twenty 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 December sixteenth. Wow, Marshfield, Missouri. What? Are you serious? People, that's where, that's, yeah, that's right where my wife's from. No that's way. Right by yeah. Springfield. That's unfortunate that there weren't some conversations there. Look, wow. Ugh. That was a great Lost place to end. Isaac. That's a new tattoo really. right there. <laughs> yeah. Queen and of Marshfield. Isaac, would you be interested? And getting a back tattoo of the <laughs> the Bear Grylls Hall of Fame members. Oh, oh there's whoa. the there's whoa. our perpetual plaque. Mm. Every, you have to come in here I'll shirtless. Take it, yeah, I'll take it under consideration. <laughs> every time, every time we to, add someone see to how it, this works he out, has man. to get a tattoo. What if you got the tattoos and I was like, man, Isaac, uh, <laughs> you're fired. Yeah, we might need a longer contract. <laughs> <laughs> Would you have to have something removed to put it on there? No, 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 no. I got plenty of real estate. I think he should maybe legs, you know. They're full, Misty. Well, I mean, maybe he could remove stuff. But Back that, to the legs? You know, just keep, that way you Ooh, could just keep I adding. Like one list? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, one list. It could be but small. You, could, you yeah. could have it drawn like a scroll. Yeah. Whoa. That'd be awesome. And I could be holding it like this. <laughs> yeah. Full size. <laughs> Looking. <laughs> you should get a life-size uh, tattoo well, hey, of okay, guys. only bigger. Fantastic. I, I love... There's some podcasts that just hit home for me. This one did. I liked it. Aside from all the the whitetail tactic stuff we talked about, which I, I mean, the, the main part that really hit home was the Ori stuff. But the having Mark Kenyon and Tony Peterson, those guys are good, man. They really are. They're colleagues of mine at Meteor Hunter with them. They're uh, they're really good. And I did mention that this fall you'll get to see me and Mark Kenyon hunting public land in Arkansas, big mountain country on a backcountry mule type hunt which is pretty cool because that's nice. kind of the way i mean it's you know same part of the world ori was in mm -hmm. and uh so yeah you can check that out cool but, uh, dad closing thoughts uh, just 
Very interesting. Enjoyed it. I'm still looking for some luck to come my way. <laughs> <laughs> still waiting on that street. Oh, well, that's all. Keep the wild places wild. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. This show is sponsored in part by BetterHelp. Around New Year's, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we've already done right. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking your supplements every morning and now you actually want to eat breakfast. In the last year, I've been more diligent about going to the gym on a regimented schedule. And it's made a lot of difference in my life. Therapy helps you find your strengths so that you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. Therapy is helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who've experienced major trauma. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Grease today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash Grease.